Welcome to this presentation of the First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 801. As we've started this new series through the prophecy of Malachi, I mentioned last week uh, that the theme of this book is that God wants our hearts. Uh, he is not pleased by us simply going through the motions of worship. He wants his people to have a genuine love for him that results in authentic faithfulness. And this is an issue historically, because as we saw in our study through Nehemiah, uh, the, the time in exile in Babylon had cured God's people of their inclination towards idolatry and worshiping false gods. They're not doing that anymore. But once they returned back home, instead of, of renewing a, a fresh love for the Lord, a, a general apathy and disinterest in spiritual things developed in its place. And so while the Lord affirmed his steadfast love for his people in the first prophecy last week, he's going to turn now to address their attitude toward him. We're going to begin seeing that this morning as Malachi confronts the people about their half-hearted worship. So we're in Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 6. The Lord says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So as we pick up here in verse 6, the Lord confronts his people for disrespecting him. He says, a son, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? And there's an implied argument from the lesser to the greater here. And that's that if, if it's right for children to honor their parents, and if it's right for servants to, to honor and respect their masters, then how much more worthy is God of the reverence of his people? And that's exactly the problem. The Lord is not being honored by his people. And specifically, we see in the middle of verse 6 that this charge is aimed at the priests who lead and facilitate worship at the temple uh, and who the Lord accuses of despising his name. And now, to despise something means to treat it lightly, or perhaps even with contempt. And when the Lord uh, refers to his name, uh, he's referring simply as, as to himself. His name stands for everything about who he is and what he has done. And so to despise the Lord's name is to despise him. And so we see that the problem here is that God's people are treating him lightly. 
or indifferently, possibly even with contempt. Now, true to the form of Malachi, the people dispute the Lord's claim. At the end of verse 6, they ask, how have we despised your name? Apparently, the people don't recognize that anything is wrong. And so the Lord's displeasure towards them is unexpected. This is important for us to see because it shows us that we can dishonor God even if that's not necessarily our intention. The, The people don't appear to have purposely disrespected the Lord, but that's what's happening nonetheless. And we're going to come back to that again later on. But first, in verse 7, the Lord explains exactly what he's talking about when he reveals that the people are offering polluted food on the altar of the temple. Now, the word polluted means defiled. And it's not exactly the same thing as unclean in the technical sense, but it refers to something that doesn't meet a standard and is therefore inappropriate for use. And so the problem here is that the people have been offering substandard sacrifices in the temple, which reflects a heart of indifference to the Lord. I don't really care, so I'm just going to do this and call it good. And in the second half of verse 7 through verse 8, we see that the people recognize that this is personal. If someone messes with your property, then then in a very real sense, they're messing with you. If someone intentionally scratches my vehicle, I'm going to take that personally. And in the same way, uh, when when you mess with the Lord's property, uh, you're messing with him. To pollute the Lord's table is to pollute the Lord himself. And so as the priests say that the Lord's table may be despised, the Lord takes that personally. Now, of course, it's unlikely that anyone is actually saying this out loud, because everybody knows that that's not correct and that's improper. But again, the actions of the people are revealing that this is their heart attitude towards God. Right? They're, they're, uh, they are taking him lightly. They are not affording him the honor and the reverence that he deserves. So the issue is not so much what the people are doing. Right? Technically, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. The issue is with how they're doing it. Right? They are offering these sacrifices in a way that very much dishonors the Lord. So in the Old Testament law, God instituted the sacrificial system as a way to regulate his relationship with the people. You could offer a sacrifice and a demonstration of repentance towards sin, or even as a a way to demonstrate thanksgiving for something that the Lord had done for you, or even just as a demonstration of devotion to the Lord. And according to the law, when you made a sacrifice, you were supposed to bring the best that you had. Whatever animal that you brought to be sacrificed was supposed to be healthy, and it was supposed to have no apparent imperfections. So sick or or deformed animals that were of no value didn't qualify. And really, that's what makes a sacrifice a sacrifice, right? If if, uh, you sacrifice something, you're choosing to go go without something that you would prefer to keep or to have. Sacrifices are supposed to hurt a little bit. They're supposed to be inconvenient. What we see here is that the people are consistently offering animals that are blind or that are lame or sick, animals that they didn't have any purpose for anyway. And at the end of verse 8, the Lord sarcastically challenges the people. He says, hey, why don't you bring what you're you're bringing to me to your governor and see if he 
uh, finds favor with you and is pleased with you. And so whether the people were paying taxes or whether they were offering gifts of loyalty and an effort to earn favor of the Persian governor who's ruling over them, uh, the, the people know good and well that they wouldn't dare bring something like that to a human dignitary. And again, the argument for, from the lesser to the greater indicates how much more wrong is it for them to bring these sacrifices to God. So Malachi confronts the people about their disrespect for worship, and then beginning in verse 9, he's going to advise them about how they should go forward. And so we'll pick up again, beginning in verse 9. He says, And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We're picking up again in verse 9. Malachi calls the people to respond to his confrontation by coming clean. He says, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. This is a call to repentance, to turn away from what they have been doing and to seek the Lord for a fresh start. He asks in the second half of, of the verse, with such a gift in your hand, will he show favor to any of you? And the idea is that if you keep doing what you've been doing, then you can't expect for God to approve of you. And in fact, if you look at verse 10, the Lord says in exasperation, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you. And then later he says, I will not accept an offering from your hand. And so in other words, things have gotten to the point where the Lord would prefer that the temple be closed down than for the people to continue worshiping the way that they have been. So imagine for, your, for a moment that it's, it's your birthday, and someone who's supposed to be a close friend of yours knows exactly what you would like to get for your birthday, but instead of getting you that, they get you something completely different instead, something that's, that's really cheap and totally useless. But you still want to be gracious, and so you say, thank you. But then in response, they say, well, you know, I'm your friend, so I had to get you something. And I know it's not really what you wanted, but it's better than nothing. Well, you might say to that, well, if, if that's how you feel about it, I'd, I'd really rather you just not get me anything. And that is exactly how the Lord feels about this insincere, half-hearted worship of his people. He says, if this is what it's going to be, then we're not going to do this at all. We see here that from God's perspective, no worship happening in the temple is better than wrong worship happening in the temple. And actually, this appears to be more than just an observation. It comes across almost as a prediction. And so if you look at verse 11, the, the tone changes significantly as the Lord points in a new direction. He declares that from the rising of the sun to its setting, meaning at all times and in all places, his name will be great among the nations, and incense and pure offerings will be offered to him everywhere 
meaning that true heartfelt worship of the Lord is going to be expressed by people all around the world. So this seems to be a hint that the day is coming where the temple will no longer be the central place of worship as people from every nation embrace the Lord as the one true God. And if the Lord is going to be worshipped in every place, again, how much more right and appropriate is it for his own covenant people to desire to offer him genuine worship now? Moving into verse 12, Malachi is going to bring his challenge to a head, and so we'll pick up one last time, beginning in verse 12. He says, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, What a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So picking up again in verse 12, the Lord comes back around to addressing the problem, which is full of irony. While the Gentiles will one day honor God's name and revere it, the Jews, his chosen people, are currently profaning it. And not only are they treating the Lord flippantly, but Malachi reveals in verse 13 that, that the worship they are offering seems burdensome to them. He writes, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it. It's like you're not even really engaging in this in the first place. But even the little bit that you are doing is like a burden. It's just so much for you. It's so demanding. I guess it's time to go to the, the, the temple again and offer another sacrifice. Come on, everybody, let's load up and go to the temple. And then, even when they do go, they bring animals that have been stolen. Malachi refers them to those that have been taken by violence. Or again, animals that are sick or blemished in some way. Well, in verse 14, it all comes to a head. The Lord has had enough, and he says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Now, anytime the Lord starts talking about a curse, things are very serious. To be cursed by God is an irrevocable rejection. It is, it is resigning someone to judgment. And here, we see that anyone who pretends to offer genuine worship to the Lord and then tries to pull a fast one by, by actually offering up something that has been blemished, they are in danger of being cursed. It is not going to go well for them in the long run. And the Lord ends this section by proclaiming that his greatness is going to be recognized by the nations. And this is both a promise and, and a, a provocation of sorts. Right? The, the Lord's name will be worshipped in every nation under heaven. And the provoking comes that that Israel can either be part of that, or they can be excluded from it. But the ball is in their court. And Malachi hopes to stir them up to a renewed love for their God. And so in our, our passage this morning, Malachi confronts the people about insincere, half-hearted worship of the Lord. 
as they treat the Lord flippantly, lightly, by bringing sacrifices that aren't really sacrifices, and by resisting the, the expectations of the law. As we consider the application that this prophecy has for our lives today, we have to start by recognizing that our situation today is, is very different from the situation of the ancient Israelites. On the one hand, the good news is that we no longer need to offer animal sacrifices in order to regulate our relationship with the Lord because God has made a full and final sacrifice for sin on our behalf through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. And because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, we can be eternally forgiven and reconciled to God by believing in Him without having to make sacrifices or without having to jump through any other religious hoops. And in fact, to be saved, we can't attempt to make ourselves right with God or to do anything to save ourselves. We must rest in what Christ has done for us alone. And so this morning, we here are part of the fulfillment of this prophecy of Malachi. As we sit here in the United States of America, which did not exist 2,500 years ago, our overwhelmingly Gentile congregation worships the Lord. And we continue to expand that worship as we engage the Great Commission to make disciples of Jesus in all nations. This glorious prediction of Malachi is taking place as we speak. And we should praise God for allowing us to be part of it. But having said that, this passage still has much to say to us today because the heart of the issue is just as relevant now as it was when Malachi first delivered it. You see, there are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into when it comes to relating to God. Right? On the one hand, we can become so overwhelmed by, by the greatness and the majesty of God that, that we shrink back from Him, and, and we forget that He's actually drawn us near to Himself through Jesus, just like a father would a child. And when that happens, we stand far off from God, and we just try not to make Him angry with us. But on the other hand, we can become so comfortable with God and the fact that he relates to us as a father that we become casual with him. We begin to treat him flippantly and we relate to him based on what's convenient for us rather than based on what he deserves as God and what he has called us to in his word. Over the last 50 years, a, a large wave of pragmatism has swept over much of, of church ministry philosophy. Now, the idea is that if we want people to come to church, then we need to lower the bar of expectations as low as possible so that we don't put any obstacle in the way for people wanting to be here. And so we don't want to do anything that would make it seem unappealing. So, so if you only want to attend once a month, then that's fine. If you don't want to serve in any way, no problem. If you don't want to give, no big deal. If you don't want to take discipleship seriously, we're just glad that you're here. If you want to offer a lame or blind animal on the altar, come right in, because this is our worship. We want church to be as comfortable and as convenient for you as possible so you can check your box and you can go on with life. But church, we see in Malachi this morning that the Lord is not interested in He's not having that at all. And we need to be reminded this morning of who God is. 
and of the fact that he sets the terms for worship and discipleship. The, the foundation of, of the discipleship class that we're doing right now is the conviction that God has told us in his word what he expects us to do and how he expects us to do it. And it's not our place to add to that or to take away from it. And so while we certainly do want as many people to come as possible, we're fooling ourselves and we're deceiving others if we think that God is pleased with half-hearted, insincere devotion. And we don't do anybody any favors by inviting them to engage in that way. Friends, worship is not about us. It's about God. Our God is a great king. And the church, particularly the church in America, needs to wake up and remember that. We don't, we don't try to find a way to fit God into our schedule. God sets the priorities. And we should start with that and work everything else around it. Again, we don't offer animal sacrifices, but the New Testament tells us that God expects our lives to be a continual, ongoing sacrifice to the Lord in everything that we do to bring honor and glory to Him. And so it's worth asking the question this morning, is your relationship with God determined basically on what is convenient for you or is it determined by what God deserves as God, and what he has called us to in his word? Like, like the ancient Israelites, is worship wearisome for you? You say, oh, it's time to go to church again. Oh, I can't believe they asked me to serve in this ministry. Oh, they're taking up another special offering. I think it's quite possible that some of us need to reconsider our approach to the Lord this morning. Our God is a great king who has saved us from our sin. And if the ancient Israelites owed him honor and reverence and true worship, how much more is, is that true of us this morning? And so as we hear the message of Malachi, may we recognize the greatness of our God and offer him not simply whatever is convenient for us, but what he deserves as God and what he has called us to in his word as we honor and love him for who he is and what he has done for us. Let's pray together.